Welcome to episode 12 of the Bossy Bitch podcast. This is going to be my most grown-up podcast yet. I am going to delve into some very serious grown-up conversations about Aboriginal culture. We've just come off the back of NAIDOC week in here in Australia. See how I say here in Australia as if I have millions of international fans. And what better time than to teach myself a little bit more about the Aboriginal culture. Also, I have an amazing friend and everybody is my friend on this podcast. (laughs) This is actually a real actual friend that has been one of my besties since we were in primary school and she's a very clever lady who has started a business with her husband and it's called Kuya Wongi and I think I said that right. I hope I said that right. And this business, talk about just creating a service that just at the right time. I mean, these two are amazing and this is a really interesting podcast. And don't worry, I don't get too serious. There's lots of laughing and joking. And as per usual, I'll play devil's advocate. And I've really put myself on the line for this one because I am the first person to put my hands up and say I'm a little bit ignorant. I can be an ignorant Australian, not by choice. I just, I don't know. Um, I think when it comes to some of these topics, um, where some of us are a bit scared to put ourselves out there to have these conversations because we're fucking terrified of offending someone or getting called out for saying the wrong thing. And this isn't exclusive to Aboriginal culture. This is pretty much a lot of things these days. You've got to watch your back. Otherwise, you get trolled online. And because I'm such a celebrity, I'll probably be like Pete Evans, shamed off the supermarket shelves. Um, (laughs) So, It's hard to delve into these topics, but I really wanted to take it on. So I've given it my best shot and I hope I've done it justice. And Narrowly and Bill's business, it's majority Aboriginal owned. It's an environmental heritage and community engagement consulting business. Holy crap. I've never said so many grown up words in one go in my life. Anyway amazing conversation and I think you guys will get a lot out of it. Super interesting and enjoy. You're listening to the Bossy Bitch Podcast with Elsa Mitchell. Come along with me as I explore all the remote corners of Australia, uncovering success stories from women killing it in business. I'll inspire you, teach you and best of all, make you laugh by sharing their journey and mine so that we can grow together in life and in business. Mom, have you seen my pants? Mate, get out of here with the podcast. Okay, today I am chatting with two people on my podcast, so this is super exciting, and uh, we're making Bossy Bitch Podcast history today because there's going to be a penis on the podcast. <laughs> And by that, I mean it's a boy. (laughs) Today I am chatting with one of my lifelong friends who I met um, in primary school, actually. We went to boarding school together. She is a four-name person like myself, Nerily Jean Boshammer-Bennell, and her husband, Bill Bennell, who I'm sure has a much longer name (laughs) or (laughs) so. 
<laughs> Welcome, guys. That's very nice, Thomas. <laughs> Hello, my love. Very good to talk to you. We're finally making this happen. This is very exciting. Thank you. It is very exciting. We've been talking about it for ages. I know. And thank you for making us your first penis experiment. We're as happy as you are about it. <laughs> well, this could be a deal breaker. That, Bill, no pressure or anything, but there may never be another penis on this podcast if this doesn't work out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no pressure, Bill. You're advocating for male rights here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, no pressure. So um, I'm going to just jump in and say that narrowly I call her Nez. And because we have been friends for a bazillion years, I'm going to continue calling you Nez throughout this podcast. I think it's going to be too difficult to try and call you by your actual name. And Nez is uh, our friendship is living proof that you can have some very opposing views on things in life and still be the best of friends. Very <laughs> famous. <laughs> it's all true. It's all true. Just ask your dad. <laughs> yes. Yes. Nez is a very enthusiastic, uh, well, should we call you a greenie? What am I going to call you? I prefer environmental professional actually these days. Oh, yeah. You know, my, my, my dreadlock patchouli days are behind me. Like I said, greenie. (laughs) (laughs) And whilst, you know, I'm all for everything you advocate, I'm that person that forgets their shopping bags at Woolworths and always buys the 15-cent plastic (laughs) shopping bags. Can I I confess something to the podcast in the world? I've done that also. (laughs) (laughs) I use it as a bin liner. (laughs) (laughs) Or pick up dog poo. (laughs) Use them to pick up dog poo. (laughs) Ta-da! Okay, Nez and Bill, I would like you to share with my listeners a little bit about your story. Um, it's a love story. Oh, because did I mention yet that you are husband and wife? You did. You did. I did. Yes. Good. Okay. Yes, you said So my, we've got a husband and wife team that uh, work together in their business. I know, crazy. Oh, and, um, you know, it's too early in their marriage to say how that's going to impact. <laughs> Oh, trust me, when it was 2am on uh, on Monday when we were finalising a deadline, no, 2am on Sunday, no, Monday, yep, see, I can't even tell the days, when we were finalising a deadline for a management plan, it, that, that was close. Yeah, it was close. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we went to sleep. We did. We managed. Can you two assemble IKEA furniture together without having a fight? You know, we haven't even tried. We're just like, we try get five years in and then, and then, you know, we need a solid foundation first before we go there. <laughs> okay. Enough joking around. Um, can you guys just tell everybody a bit about your story? It's a long one, um, but kind of, I guess, how you met and then um, what got you to your business that you have now and how you started that and why you started that and what what is it? For sure. Okay. That's a lot. All right. So how, how much time have these people got? No. Um, <laughs> I'll try to keep the love story a little Dad bit. Dad doesn't like people droning on on my podcast, just so you know. Oh, really? Is that his feedback? Oh, in, honor, in honor of Helmet, I'll keep it. So Bill and I met um, more than 15 years ago uh, through work. I, um, I was fresh-faced out of uni. I just finished my environmental management degree and I had moved to Boyart Brook 
the back ends of nowhere. I'm sure um, I'm sure people know where it is. Some of your listeners may know where it is. Anyway, I was there. Um, we'd organised a meeting. I just started this project around um, incorporating Aboriginal cultural values into natural resource management. This, this project was about for the next two years and I was like, I've got no effing idea what I'm going to do. Help. And so Bill comes to the rescue. Um, we had a meeting um, with it was himself and a couple of other guys uh, to to basically provide you know mentoring and advisory committee for me because I just had no I just was completely thrown in the deep end anyway hadn't met him before I'd spoken to him on the phone and he was not what I expected I walked into the meeting room and I was like Jesus Christ that's the best looking man I've ever seen in my life <laughs> black curly hair he looked like a black Heath Ledger you know and I was just like oh, oh my God I, I need to concentrate now be professional be professional be professional anyway. Unbeknownst to me, he was thinking the same thing. Not that I look like a black Heath Ledger, but you know, <laughs> um, he was thinking. The same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of look like a female Heath Ledger, though. Why? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but Bill was uh, Bill was what Bill was saying to himself is, "You're married. You're married. You're married." <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Anyway, and um, that was quite a bit. We had the meeting. It was really good. And then he started um, just as a mentoring role for me, I suppose. We worked for different organisations. So, so for the next... Yeah, I was working for Southwest Catchment Catchments Council. Council. Yeah, and so for the next five years... Sorry, he was working for, for what, sorry? Southwest Council at the time. Southwest Council. Yeah, Southwest Catchments Council. Catchments Council. Yeah, and so for the next five years or so, we didn't really see that much of each other. It was just, you know, because he worked in Bunbury, I was in Boy Up Brook, and it was just, you know, I'd ring him if I needed advice on stuff. At least once a day I needed advice. No, <laughs> it wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, and then I actually uh, about, yeah, five years later I got a job with the Southwest Catchments Council because um, I left Boy Up Brook for, for reasons. And um, my relationship at the time had, had ended and so um, I was like, no, nah, I need to change, went back to the coast, got a job with the South West Cashman's Council and then started working in the same office as Bill. Well, yeah. that was convenient, wasn't yeah. it? Stalker. <laughs> <laughs> we were always the high professionalism. There was never any yeah. office shenanigans. Yeah, um, I don't believe that for a yeah. second. Oh, <laughs> it's true, it's true, I swear to God. It was obvious that we shagged now. Um, <laughs> and anyway, so that's what's been, we actually became friends, you know. We um, we got to know each other a lot better and um, and still with other people. You know, he was, he was still married and I was still with someone else and, you know, la, 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 la. But we just became friends and we got closer and then the relationship developed and then eventually it developed into love and it was like, ooh, okay. And then um, and then here we are, married almost a year in, and um, yeah, he's he's my bestie, and it's great. And so we decided two years ago to start the business together um, because I'd had enough of the Southwest Catchments Council. Bill was um, had transferred to um, FMG quite some time ago, about six years ago. Yeah. And um, FMG is a that's a big mining company, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Metals Group. It's so a big. I do the um, archaeological and anthropological surveys up there um, for. For Fortescue, so it's basically walking the Pilbara looking for Aboriginal sites. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool job. Mm. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah. Anyway, the federal government cut funding to the environmental sector again, so I took a voluntary redundancy from the Southwest Catchments Council and thought, you know what, we've been talking about developing our own consultancy for a while. Let's do it. Let's take the plunge. Yeah. So we we had a few chats about it, 
And um, Bill had always wanted, he'd always had this idea in his in his head to call it Koya Wongi and um, Koya is the frog um, and Wongi means to talk or yarn or tell a story. Um, so well, that's not- really cool. I know you've told me that before, but I think I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> I do I do go on, don't I? <laughs> um, so it's frog. Yeah, frog talk. And the reason- so it's a frog talk. Yeah, yeah. And I the, actually really like that. That's cool. Very cool. The yeah. frog actually represents um, a Bennell family totem in Aboriginal, like Aboriginal totems. Yeah, so right. The Bennell family um, totem is the frog, therefore Koya Wongi frog talk. Yeah. Gotcha. So is, do you mean it's kind of like the Bennell family emblem, like, you know, like how the Australian is like the emu and the is – that, is that what you mean? And the crest. Yeah. You could you, you couldn't say that type of you could say it like that yeah um, but <laughs> it's more no know? but to, to to kind of make a an analogy yeah, yeah yeah for it's people to understand what a totem is yeah you could you could say it's a family crest um, that's why we're having this conversation today isn't we isn't it so we can learn about these things but, uh, a, a totem's more of a um, it's it's a spiritual association with a animal or spirit and that kind of like just represents the characteristics in a, in a frog represents the characteristics that your family may portray. Yeah, yeah that's cool. I like that. Yeah. And it's the responsibility to, so with average, with Noongar totems, and I'm sure Aboriginal totems across Australia, but I'm making an assumption, um, is that if a particular animal is your totem, then it's your responsibility to look after it. So um, you can't harm it, you can't eat it. So if you if your totem was the kangaroo, you'd be you'd be pretty screwed because you know it's, it's a staple food source. But yeah, so it's sort of there's it's like this um this this beautiful sense of belonging almost. So it's yeah, it's you you are you are one of the frogs mob, and the frog was one of yours. And it's and it's if you're a bennell, then it's your responsibility to look after it and to do what you can, which means keeping waterways clean which means, you know, looking after their habitat. And if you don't, then you get sick. And there's um, a lot of Noongar people feel really strongly that the reason that the mob isn't doing so great health-wise is because the environment's been so damaged since colonisation. Um, and yeah, right. Yeah, and so there's, there's a lot of links between, you know, harm to country, to Buja, and, and the harm that then um, then occurs to your own personal health. Yeah, and also, you know, the, the frogs are ecological of healthy water. Mm. If you have frogs in water, the water's healthy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that, okay. Yes, yeah, so that's what we call a koyawongi, and it's all about culture, community, and environment. Essentially, yeah. that's sort of our and our our vision and mission, I suppose, is is to create a successful Noongarian business that can then inspire other Aboriginal people, particularly Noongars, to to get out there and do it for themselves as well. It's not that difficult if we can do it; anyone can. And also to be able to set ourselves up to be successfully financially, successful financially, I should say, so that um, we can give back in philanthropy or jobs or whatever that may look like back to the Noongar community. So that's sort of the whole idea behind it. That's massive. Yeah. <laughs> no, no pressure, hey. <laughs> so let's break it down. Yeah. Tell So what does what does that m- look like in your business? So how how do you on a day to day basis? What type of jobs do you take on or or do? I guess what we call four pillars in our business. So one's called um, tadpoles, which is like uh, more of an educational type of role with uh, kids. So providing our culture directly to kids and giving back. 
So doing, you know, doing cultural education days at schools, yeah. doing um, doing artwork projects with with school kids that then educate them about Noongar culture. That's really a good one because um, I before we we actually pressed play on this thing, I was asking you guys some questions, and I one of the questions was, do you think Australians are more sensitive or aware of other cultures over Aboriginal cultures? And we all started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a. It's actually a really. Um, Bill does this really interesting um, exercise with people when he's doing. So one of the other things we do is cross cultural awareness training, um, and one of the activities he'll often do with people is to say, you know, I, you know, name me five um, First Nations American tribes, and people just go, dit, 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 you know, easy. Um, but na- and then name me four Aboriginal Australian tribes. Um, <laughs> You know, and and they and they, they really struggle. They may get one, yeah. um, but no, they really do struggle. And I mean, the problem is, is with the curriculum. I mean, when I was growing up in school, you know, I mean, I, I was exempt from social studies only because I, you know, had an argument with my teacher about who actually settled Australia. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I wish we could have been there for that. <laughs> I mean, they were trying to tell me that James Cook found Australia. And I said, well, you know, there were blackfellas running around here, you know, yeah. found it. And, you know, we had a frank conversation about that. So I didn't have to do social studies. And as a 13-year-old at a school that's on the beach, that's great. <laughs> uh, yeah. huh. But then hey. the solved, you know, that had me outside of the system. So, yeah. Do they still teach that at school? They, they, uh, they do. Still teach that, but they. It was quite interesting. We were talking to um to uh, Danelle the other day. Yeah. Was talking about um Harvey's little school. Yeah. Know. So for um for all of your beautiful listeners' information, Janelle is a fellow friend of Elsa's and mine that we've been friends for <laughs> a very long time. That makes me feel old to say twenty five odd years. Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, <laughs> she's got she has a seven year old, and um and we were talking about the fact that. So he had just come away from a week of celebrating NAIDOT week at his school and he was just bursting with information and enthusiasm. It was really lovely to hear. Um, and we were talking with her about the fact that even when we were at school, I mean, Bill was at school a million years ago, but even when Danelle and Elsa and I were at school, we learned about the Holocaust. We learned about, um, you know, and it wasn't that awful. And we learned about the fact that Australia is a very young country. We're only 200 years old, da 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 da, da. And it's quite fascinating that in only, in only our lifetime so much has changed and the schools are so much more, um, not even, open's not the word, they are, they are so keen for information. They are. We're, we're, we're approached at least once a week by a school and, in, of course, for NAIDOT week it's, you know, five times a day. Um, but, you know, at least once a week by a, a school around the southwest, and this is just the southwest of WA, excluding Perth, um, you know, just asking for, you know, just desperate for information. Can you come in and do a session with the kids around Aboriginal astrology? Can you do a session with the kids about, you know, kinship systems, about bush medicine, about this, about that, you know, they're, they're about language. They're really, really, it's it has changed um, hugely. Yeah, that's awesome because, yeah, like you say, I, I remember in primary school but I grew up um, in the bush as well. So the Aboriginal culture was a lot stronger, you know, I think in that where I grew up. I think, it, like you said, it probably varies from place to place. But I rem- all I remember is that one day we went out and made damper and caught um, – what are they called? Widgety grubs? Is that what they're called? Oh, body grubs. 
the, yeah. Oh. And that was that was our thing. That's the only thing I remember. I, and then, like you say, we learn Australian culture. We did learn Australian history, but it was about the, yeah, probably it wasn't that accurate. We certainly didn't learn, I remember, as we were in the same history classes, yeah, about Aboriginal culture. We did learn about the Holocaust. And it's like um, – We watched Schindler's List, which was great. I love that. Schindler's List. <laughs> oh, gosh. And, I mean, they not they are important – um, pieces of history without a doubt, but our own history is obviously surely just as significant. So you can see why there is that demand for you guys, especially at the moment. Um, until I guess uh, the education system in Australia gets a lot stronger to actually be implementing those things themselves. It's great that there are people like yourselves that have created this um, uh, service that can do those things. Yeah, it's, you know what? Totally off topic, but it's like when Chernobyl came out on um, <laughs> Foxtel recent, like a couple a year or two ago, and I was like, "How the fuck did this thing happen?" And I'm only just finding out about it now. <laughs> it's because you're from Canada and Elsa, and you know, they think about it. <laughs> like, what else don't I know? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, where's my where's my pen and pad? <laughs> Like I just at this point want to say I am the first person to put my hand up and say I am so ignorant and oblivious to half the shit that's going on in the world. That's why I bring people like you guys on my podcast so that I can learn and do it better. But it's it's super important and, you know, like you and I were talking about when we were first, you know, like do we do we allow a penis onto bossy bitch or I don't know. Well, <laughs> if you're going to do it, it should be villain, it should be done well and the thing is, is that it's so fundamentally important and for him to speak about this as his lived experience as an Aboriginal man, some of the stories he's told me from when he was younger, it breaks my heart. It's absolutely atrocious and that he can still be so patient and kind and open with people when they do openly say to him, oh, look, I, I don't know and I'm sorry, but please teach me. It's a hell of a lot, it's a hell of, a lot of improvement on, you know, being called a B word or a C word on the footy field, you know, or, or whatever else. Yes. Because do you think it's fair to say, like, there are a lot of people like myself that um, we don't choose to be ignorant? Is that the right word? Um, It's just we don't know because that's how we were raised or that's how we were educated or whatever our circumstances are. We don't, we don't, you don't know what you don't know. So do you think that's a fair comment? Oh. Well, with, you know, as you grow up, though, you have to take charge of what knowledge you will take on or find out. And, like, this type of podcast it actually allows people to actually get a bit of insight into that. Mm. So even if you are, you know, you know, like your Chernobyl comment, at least you found out about Chernobyl now. <laughs> so you widen your horizons, you know, in, um, finding out about nuclear reactors and meltdowns and stuff like that. But, like... I suppose with Aboriginal um, subjects about uh, ignorance, a lot of, some people hide behind that too. Yeah, that is. I actually really love how you just said that. You can, especially as adults, you can choose what you um, are knowledgeable about, and what topics you choose to learn about. That's you know that is that's a fair call. I actually really like that. Yeah, and, and not just that. No, as um, you know, uh, mothers and fathers. You choose to expand your kids' knowledge too. You know, so, Absolutely. So, um, 
I do find um, I've in, in the past there have been people that have hid behind some of that ignorance. Yep. Because it's safe. It's, yep. you know, they don't have to have the hard conversation. And, like, these hard conversations actually have to happen nationally. They do. Now, we've got this reconciliation movement uh, where they're doing reconciliation action plans. But the, the problem where that came from, that came from South Africa, um, that reconciliation type of process. And the mm -hmm. difference between South Africa and Australia when they brought it over here, there was one vital aspect of that reconciliation that South Africa did that Australia has never done. And that's about truth telling, and truth telling about what our history is, you know. So, mm -hmm. um, and that, that's not trying to make people feel guilty or anything like that. That's 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 not what that's about. What it's about is Australia's got a long history, and it's our history as, our, mm -hmm. as Australians. It's not just two hundred years old. It's actually forty thousand years old. And I think where Australia needs to mature in is accepting um, that our history is that old. I'm not saying our history as an Aboriginal person. I mean our history yeah, as Australians. History. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. yeah, that's awesome. And I know, and I I said this to Nez on the phone when we were leading up to this podcast. I was like, I'm actually really nervous about having this conversation because I'm scared. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I say something that's going to offend somebody? Um, because I I'm not as knowledgeable as I could be, and um. Nez, you were very reassuring about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I just, I think it's, I just applaud you for, for going there because so many people will use that fear as an excuse not to do anything and that's what Bill was saying is, oh, I'm, I'm afraid I'll offend someone so I won't have the conversation at all. Just, just, have it, just saying to someone, look, I really would like to learn more about this subject and I want to ask you some questions. Tell me if I'm pushing too hard or tell me if I'm overstepping. Just let yes. know. But I just really would love to learn more and I think you're in a position to be able to teach me through your lived experience and, you know, and whatever else their professional background may be, but just even their lived experience as an Aboriginal person, um, you know, you and I, we're privileged white girls, you know, that's as simple as that, <laughs> you know. We, we had, you know, school was paid for us right up to whatever level we wanted. I, my parents paid for my uni degree. Your parents you know, have helped you out in, in business ventures and all those kinds of things, you know, because they're in a position to be able to um, and because we've got every, all the doors are open to us. We don't have to come in through a window or, or bash the door down like Aboriginal people have had to in the past. So just just saying to someone, look, I am cons I'm worried that I might offend you and I'm sorry, um, but, you know, I just really want to learn and that's far less offensive than never even bothering to have the conversation at all and that's why what, what you're wanting to do with us today is, is so cool and I think it and I because you are you're in a position to be able to influence other people and educate other people. So it's true really, I am an influencer. Really, yeah, you are. You're so you're totes you're totes influential else. Quite um, interesting also because it's not just individual people, it's about institutions and the, uh, the mm -hmm. other two, the other two pillars in our business is about um, uh, cultural uh, management plans and environmental management plans. And blending them to elements together and producing uh, plans that are a bit more integrated when it comes mm. to culture and nature. Um, and what you find is a lot of institutions like um, just still don't get that. They get the long history that Aboriginal people have had in this country when it comes to land management or looking after country. Um, I always use the analogy like if you look at farmers, farmers' connection to their farm 
is similar to the connection Aboriginal people have had to Australia for 40,000 years. They, you know, they love their farm. They love the way they, you know, look after their yeah, farm. The way they so, resonate with them. You know, it's about that bit of bush that you have and how that resonates with you. You belong to it. And your kids and your future kids and, you know, stuff like that. It's, that's where um, a part of our business when it comes to the culture and environment we try and... Yeah. So we... Um, yeah, so this is about it's it's about um, the way because a lot of organisations, whether they're government or private, they aspire to be environmentally sustainable. They aspire to be socially responsible, and they aspire to be culturally safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting from those aspirations to actually the day to day reality of the workplace looking like that is really really tricky, and that's where we come in and we help. You know, our consultancy helps organisations create um, create that. Far out. It's so. Um, what are the what's the word I'm looking for? Like. You guys have really created something that is, you've just come in at the right moment, haven't you? Like all those things you just said about being culturally safe or, um, you know, inclusive, diversive, you know, all all of those things, it's massive. It's huge right now, absolutely huge. So, I mean, fucking spit on you two for like finding <laughs> something that services that because that's fucking awesome so, I mean, it's it's so cool to rock up to the office every day which is you know five steps from the bedroom which is also very handy but <laughs> <laughs> to sit down in our home office in this be- you know we live in Bustleton, such a beautiful place in the world we're so connected to to the environment down here and to culture down here and to be able to live it breathe it and then work in that space to to coach and help other people and other organizations get to that as well is just it's a real privilege and it's not and as a privileged white girl as a you know um <laughs> i say that with you know just complete honesty <laughs> privileged white girl <laughs> welcome to the stage privileged white girl um you know the 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 learning that i've had from bill over the years is and from his family, who have just been so incredibly welcoming and inclusive to this privileged white girl, just so open and just everything that I've learned about not just Aboriginal culture but just the fundamental importance of family and that connection to country, which I'd already had anyway from, you know, being a rabid greenie, like Elsa said, you know, that (laughs) I've always had that but just that deeper understanding of what that means from an Aboriginal cultural perspective and just it's embedded in every you know, and the NADOC theme for this year always was, always will be, I just find really powerful because a lot of the time when people talk about Aboriginal culture or you read reference material about Aboriginal culture, it's Aboriginal people used to, Aboriginal people did, Aboriginal people were. It's like they've disappeared. But traditional land management, traditional values, they haven't gone anywhere. They've changed. They're not necessarily running around in loincloths with spears anymore, but still hunting, still fishing, still family, still cultural rites of passage, still ceremony, all of these things that are fundamentally important, it's still there. Um, and to be part of that in a workplace every day is, is, and to be able to educate other people about it is super, super cool. I feel really lucky. Um, so as an, um, a, big, a bigger institution and uh, why, why is – can you give me an example, I guess, of why they need, you know, cultural management plans or what w- what kind of, like, can you give me an example of a business, a big institution, don't have to name anyone or anything, and what why they might need you, just just for anyone that's a bit, mm, I'm not getting it. Absolutely, for sure. So I'll use the private sector actually is a lot more flexible than the government sector. So the private sector is able to grab this and run with it a hell of a lot easier than government. So I'll use a government example of, 
the rigidity and the bureaucracy behind government um, institutions isn't it doesn't sit well with Aboriginal culture. So that's straight away you've got a cultural barrier to entry for Aboriginal people. So say a state government agency, um, um, I really don't, I shouldn't say the name. So a state government agency, even the way they advertise, even the way they, so they'll advertise specifically for um, 50D positions and 50D is, um, it's a clause in the um, employment, um, what is Aboriginal it? What Act is it? Yeah, Equal Opportunities Act, and it's 50D means that Aboriginality is a, a central criteria for, for for entry. So you have to be Aboriginal to even have a look at getting this job. But they'll advertise it through um, SEEK or through, you know, a state government portal or through, yeah. and that is all. The fact that they haven't bothered to get that mess, and then they wonder why, and then they say, oh, no Aboriginal people apply, they obviously don't want a job with us. No, you haven't bothered to get it out into the community. You're assuming that the people that you're wanting to get this job have access to internet, have access to a phone that can get internet, have access to a phone, <laughs> all of these things, in, and, and even know what SEEK is. You need to get out into, so what we do is we say to them, when you're just simple things like advertising for positions, you need to go to local Aboriginal corporations, organisations, and they're everywhere. You just have to Google it in your local area and you'll find it and get the message to them so that they can get the message out to the community that there's jobs available for, for young Aboriginal people to have an entry into a state agency. And they'll have the door bashed down with people desperate for a, a good job with them. Um, and then once they get to the workplace, again, the, the bureaucracies of being in a government workplace aren't necessarily... They don't necessarily take into account cultural considerations and, and that's what cultural safety is all about is, is, you know, you might be the only Aboriginal person in an office of 50 people. You walk into that office and how isolating would that feel straight off the bat? And so if, you're, if your workplace hasn't made the effort to try and make that place welcoming and safe and to make you feel like you're part of the team because you're already a minority, um, then, you know, that's why retention of Aboriginal people is, is quite low. So, okay. yep. so what we do is we coach them into, you know, and, you know, this is how you make this person feel welcome. This is how you make this person feel less isolated. And things like, um, policies yeah, and policies is a classic one of, um, so uh, also that's with cross cultural awareness and competency. Cultural when it comes to cultural um, management plans, also that's more along the lines of cultural heritage. Mm hmm. Um, and cultural heritage, um, so Aboriginal sites, um, and it's standard practice that um, if you're if you're um, say like developing a road, like main roads, yep. you're developing a road, they must do an Aboriginal um, heritage archaeological survey, and they must do an anthropological survey along that footprint where they're planning to do works um, right. to identify any known. Um, Aboriginal sites or any unknown Aboriginal sites. Um, and there's actual uh, legislation called WA Heritage Legislation that protects Aboriginal sites. So um, they will, um, you know, uh, do that due diligence and do an Aboriginal Heritage Survey. And then there's yeah. certain recommendations that come out of that. Now, them recommendations from them surveys and um the common practice is to develop a management plan to avoid or protect those heritage places that may be impacted by that road being built. So that's the that's the cultural management plans. Gotcha. Yep. 
So what Naz was talking about is cultural safety within an organisation. Yes, it's cultural safety within an organisation. A lot of people, you know, the buzzword is cross-cultural awareness training that people um, throw around and stuff like that, but that's just awareness. That's just being aware of culture. What what we develop is cultural competency within inside of an organisation. So that's not just being aware. That's actually looking at your practices and how you can make your organisation culturally safe for Aboriginal staff members. And, you know, a huge one that people, and whether it's private or public sector, where they get unstuck is is lack of cultural leave. Uh, And because Aboriginal people, you know this, they go to a lot of funerals. And it's usually Friday. Friday is usually funeral day. Um, And all of a sudden you'll be using up all of your even if your organisation allows you to go to one, all of a sudden they'll start asking questions going, you go to a lot of funerals, we're not sure we like this. They start asking questions, they start making you feel really uncomfortable about it. So what we advocate for organisations is we educate them why this is so important and what, you know, that it's different for Aboriginal people to to us modulars, us whitefellas, because bigger families, they're Families are closer. You go to more funerals when your family members die. It's just, it's just a state. It's just a reality. And to have um, processes built in and policies and procedures built in, so that an Aboriginal person feels safe to go to their boss and say, "Look, I need to go to this funeral, or I need a, I need leave to go." It's you know, for cultural reasons. You know, it's called cultural leave policy. Um, I'm going to know. ask um, a couple of questions that are, that I think just. Um, <laughs> Someone might someone might throw at you that that might might not know any better. When you said before that they place an ad and um, they might be looking for and you called it the fifty D. Yep. And you said that means that oh, you must be um, indigenous to apply for those positions. Yep. So um, how come they could? place that why or why would they place an ad stating that you must be indigenous and I guess some people would say, well, what would happen if you place an ad saying you can't be Indigenous? You know, like the, the other side. Yeah, you must be white to apply. Because some people would be sitting there going, oh, well, then how's that fair? You couldn't place an ad to say you have to be white to apply for this job. So can you can you give me an answer on that? Because I know someone would be sitting there thinking that <laughs> from an ignorant person's point of view. This is why well, this is why this podcast is good because you can yes you can play devil's advocate like this yes and I don't and I don't just do this to you guys I play devil's advocate with everybody that comes on here because I love to look at things from every perspective yeah it's important though you, because you're right those you know there there would be someone sitting there going oh well, how's that fair yeah there's, yeah there's, there's what they call the racial discrimination act yep. in Australia and inside of that racial discrimination act I believe there's a reverse of racial discrimination inside of that where it opens up the possibility for governments to actually um, use what they call the 50-day clause. And that's about equal um, opportunities and equality. That's not just for Aboriginal people, that's for Mm. women as well Mm. in the workplace. Yeah, and I was going to say a lot of what you're saying probably isn't exclusive to Aboriginal people. You know, there'd be people with the the cultural safety within the workplace and what you're saying, it extends to... um, the you know the LBG <laughs> whatever I don't want to be disrespectful but you know and and anybody that comes from another culture really yeah. would probably face these same issues yeah, yeah. absolutely um, and people who have English as a second language there's a lot of 
there is a lot of um, racial discrimination in Australia against people. As soon as we hear an accent that isn't, yeah, g'day, how you going, we start. It's true. <laughs> it's but I did just cut Bill off then, sorry, when he was explaining that 50D thing. So did you want to finish? Sorry, Bill. I was just saying, like, that that actual part of that act is actually, it's not just about Aboriginal people, yeah, it's about women, people with disabilities, getting a fair go inside the workplace. Um, um, and a lot of that time is because... Um, if you think about the workplaces and the institutions that are actually been developed through Australia, mm-hmm. um, Wadjala people, uh, Wadjala meaning white people, have had uh, a good crack, and <laughs> a good crack at being able to get into them institutions, build their career based on opportunity. Yep. Where Aboriginal people, where, where it comes to that type of institutional stuff or workplace stuff, it's only been two hundred years. So you've got a, you've got a culture that was actually <laughs> had an economy a different type of economy and not an economy based on monetary values, getting jobs, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. The economy was quite different in the sense of an economy of family, mm. looking after family, looking after country, looking after your, the, the resources you have in that area. That was their economy. So they, we're kind of like Aboriginal society is starting back 200 years trying to work out how the hell we get into these workspaces. Yeah, um, that makes sense. An example we do in cross-cultural trainings is I set up some tables, right, and I've got a bucket in the middle and I'll put a $50 note underneath it. Everyone's sitting like they're in a classroom, you know, in the old days where you got some people at the front some people at the back. Yep. I get them to wrap up a piece of paper and I, and I say to them, they each wrap up a piece of paper and they get to throw it into that bucket. Whoever gets it into that bucket gets a $50 note. Now, obviously, if you look at them old classrooms, the people in the front row has got the best advantage, right? Yep. That's white people and white society and employment. Mm-hmm. Blackfellas are out the back trying to throw from there. So all that equal opportunities thing does is puts them at the front row to have an ease and chance. Yeah. So in response to someone saying, oh, that's not particularly fair, it's like, well, this is it's – it's almost – it's probably a poor choice of words, but it's almost – it's the government trying to play catch-up for decades of Aboriginal people being actively excluded, not encouraged to be part of, of, you know, part of what we're creating as Australia. Um, So, But to reiterate my point as well, Elsa, that wasn't just about Aboriginal people, that's about women and that's about people with disabilities as well. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, perfect sense, because if – you know, there was a corporation that said they were looking, f- you know, one of their things was that they hired someone with disabilities. That was their, um, one of their values or one of their, their I don't, I can't find the right words, yeah. but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Everyone would go, oh, that is so nice. Yeah. It's funny. You know, <laughs> it's really interesting, isn't it, Elsa, that just, and there's that, that unconscious racism that is still alive and well today. And it's really interesting. A friend of ours who's a doctor in, um, in business, oh, God, it's a, his title is far more eloquent than a doctor of business, but, you know, he's an expert in, in business studies and, and, and Aboriginal business in particular. He's an Aboriginal man. He's a Belku man from up in the Pilbara. And he shared a link with me to the study that shows that um, three out of four Australians still have an unconscious bias against Aboriginal people. And, mm-hmm. and in, you know, it was based on, you know, five years of study and, you know, people giving really objective answers to, to simple questions. And, yeah, 
isn't that staggering that still three out of four Australians still view Aboriginal people askance, basically? They, you know, and I've had, you know, um, Bill's, you know, one of Bill's aunties is a, is a, a professor, a university professor, and she tells a story about the fact that she was sitting, <laughs> she was sitting in a meeting one day in a board, massive big boardroom. And, um, oh, sorry, she was walked into a massive big boardroom and, um, one of the women that was sitting there already looked at her, looked at her own handbag and moved her handbag down to her feet. Oh, shit. And she's like, bitch, I've been three times as much as you do. I don't need your money, but just amazing that in a professional setting that, you oh, know. wow. Yeah, you know, there's that stuff still around, you know. Um, and any Aboriginal person will tell you that they get, you know, it's different. And as for us, it's so hard, even for me, who's more aware than the average bear and more conscious of it than the average bear, I'll still never quite get it because I've never lived it. I've never had someone look at me sideways because of what I look like. Not you know, about other, that either. <laughs> <laughs> unless, unless I'm wearing really like, unless I'm wearing really like. <laughs> you got some big cans there, girl. <laughs> Thanks, ma'am. This is me when the conversation gets serious, start making nervous jokes. But, no, it's true and and I believe it. I do believe it. (laughs) I do believe that um, you've called it unconscious racism and one of my notes for this chat was um, casual racism. So I guess it kind of goes hand in hand. People, uh, they're not even aware or they don't not deliberately or they're not intentionally racist, but they they are doing those things and probably that lady didn't even realise. She probably didn't even think about it. She just did it. And she probably it was probably a little voice in her head afterwards going, Oh my God, I cannot believe you just did that. <laughs> you know, well and I hope I hope so at least. For the record, I've met Bill's aunties and they're awesome. <laughs> They're amazing. Yeah, we have. I love Bill's aunties. They are so good. They love you. My God, they thought you were hilarious. And yes, I know. <laughs> like just talking about them, they are strong women. Yeah, and like just the, I mean, on a cultural side, they're strong, but just as like leaders in our family. Mm-hmm. They've, they've taught us a lot of things that we carry through life, you know. Mm. And it is like Ness always goes on, I can't believe you're so patient. I mean, when you've got strong aunties like mine, you need to be patient because <laughs> you are getting told left, right and centre what to do, so you just sit quietly. And <laughs> yes, sir. Especially with, like, strong uh, women. Yeah. Just, like, they are, yeah. they're, they're, they're forces to be reckoned with. And do you know, it's, it's interesting, Elsa, um, a lot of the stuff you see in the news around, you know, dysfunction in Aboriginal communities or crime mm-hmm. rates, crime rates or, you know, it's real talk now, um, you know, or, you know, incarceration rates, you know, amongst Aboriginal people, they're ridiculously high. And given that proportionally Aboriginal population is, you know, between only 3 and 6% of the entire Australian population, they did a good job when they, um, they did assimilation and, you know, and settlement, that's for sure. Um, when you talk about all those things, it's it's men who have really struggled more so than women in Aboriginal society. And that's one fundamental thing is that when Australia was invaded, and I'll say invaded, not settled because it was invaded, and when it was taken over, men were particularly affected because their role, their, one of their primary roles as men in, in Aboriginal society is to protect their family 
and to protect their land and to be be the boss, you know, and to to look after things and keep you know keep laws and customs and things going. They had that stripped from them, so they don't have you know their, their traditional right and responsibility and role um, in their in their family and in their culture and their society has been taken away. Whereas women have always been the caregivers, the nurturers, the, the bosses, <laughs> the yeah. real bosses, you know, the women who held things together. And traditionally that was their role and that's still carried on. They are still able to practice their traditional cultural responsibility. Yeah. Um, and whereas whereas men are really struggling more so than women in our society because they've had that taken away and their, their sense of self and their sense of pride and dignity has been deeply affected. You imagine... You know, you flip it on its head. You imagine that happening to your dad, your brothers, you know, and that's where I say to people who go, oh, well, it was, you know, stolen generations, a classic example. Oh, it was 50 years ago. Why don't they just get over it and stop talking? <laughs> Does anyone tell the Jews to get over the Holocaust? I don't think right? it's true. We're dealing with Australia's got its own record of genocide and, you know, and, you know, it, it was as brutal and as, as, um, as far-reaching and as... Um, well planned as the as the Holocaust, you know, it was yeah. there was a systemic, um, there was a systemic, what's the word, militarized. You know, they planned it. You know, this was a mm. planned a planned invasion and a planned wipeout of Aboriginal culture. Um, so, I know I'm getting a little bit. You know, it is quite complicated. It's about true though what you said, but no one tells the juice to get over. It. Well, actually, this is the thing, and this is where Bill was talking about truth telling in reconciliation. And reconciliation action planning. And if, if, you know, for any of your listeners out there who are working in an organization that's thinking about doing a reconciliation action plan, this is really fundamentally important is get to the truth telling bit. Don't be afraid to tell those stories because this is what unites us to talk about things like this. And, you know, you hear stories about some of the things that happened to Aboriginal people back in the day and it just makes your skin crawl. It makes you feel physically ill. That can unify us, not, not, not separate us as it doesn't matter if you're black white or brindle you hear those stories about something happened to, like that to someone's family yeah to their of course children, to seeing their children murdered in front of their eyes or taken away or whatever the case may be um pinjara massacre is a really good example of that you tell those stories and you and you empathize with that and you you tell the truth around that without any blame because people again people get defensive well i didn't yes. do it wasn't and it's like, yeah, no exactly. One, that is a thing. It's like, well, I didn't do it. Yeah, and no, and no, and for everyone out there, no one's saying you did. They're, <laughs> they're asking for all Aboriginal people across Australia is asking for is for us to go, shit, yep, that happened and that sucked. And let's, yep. how do we make that better together? How do we move on from that together? And and help you help each other and understand better. You know, no one's saying you need to say sorry or that you need to say yeah I did that you know it's not it's not about that it's about telling the truth and how amazing so that you've both found something that you well it's pretty huge it's um and so valuable and you've been able to create a a business and a life that um you know (laughs) that makes a difference you're changing the world (laughs) Changing, yeah, trying to make some change, absolutely. It is, look, it is a really, it's a very cool position to be in. It um, is a very cool position, yeah. You're doing yeah. something that means something, yeah. something that's important to you, something that gives you the opportunity to, um, I guess, walk the walk, you know, like yeah. um, walk the talk. Yeah. Um, and 
yeah, that's Matt. And as well, it's just um, so highly sought off after and needed in our society right now. That's so huge. You guys should be really fucking proud of yourselves. We are really fucking proud. Yeah. And and you know what? Com- like just having this conversation with you, like because you get caught up in the day to day, don't you? You know what it's like. You'd- I feel like we could talk about this for days. Elsa has seventeen children. She knows what it's like. Yes. Um, you get caught up in the day to day, and you forget you forget the why. And and having conversations like this with you, I've just it's just hit me. Yep, this is why we do it. This is the why right here. You know, this is so. I'm fired and up. And how right? good to have a conversation because one of the things when we were chatting earlier, when we were talking about um, what were we saying? We were saying about being scared to say things or scared to have the conversation. But that, again, is not exclusive to um, talking about Indigenous culture. It's That's anything. You, online now, I am freaking terrified of saying anything about anything because I'm scared that I'm going to get trolled to shit and everyone's going to go, oh, my God, well, look what yeah. she said or did. Or it ends up in a, um, you know, like a, a music mix on a loop. <laughs> yes. And oh, I know. It's this, this is where the internet goes crazy because it's people keyboard warriors, whereas you, we've just had a conversation which was a very real conversation for me and – um, will be for our listeners, you know, not scripted at all. And um, I've learnt so much just from having this chat with you guys. And imagine if we could sit and continue talking about it in person, face to face. But who, you know, those these conversations don't happen a lot anymore because we're quite often we're just going on, you know, articles we're reading online yeah. or snippets of this, yeah. and um, people get a bit. What's the word? There's not a lot of intellectual conversations taking place. There's not, is there? And, no. and it's a lot of blame, slinging. People blame COVID, but it was an issue before that, and it'll be an issue after. And was it Einstein that predicted that you know in this in this century we'd never be more connected, but we'd never be more isolated either? We're so connected through our gadgets mm. and our widgets and this, but we're so disconnected socially and in terms of how we interact with each other. Um, it's true. I'll leave you um, one other thing that um, one of Jill's aunties says when she um, does cross-cultural awareness training, and it's I just love it. She said that um, you white fellas think that you're scared. Try being a black fella. Terrified <laughs> 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 all the time, <laughs> you know, and that for me, you know, and then she, that she always opens with that joke, but she said, no, seriously, imagine you're the only Everyone in the room that you walk into is different to you and they're looking at you knowing that you're different. Just picture it, you know. Mm. And, and for me, I often do that. I'll often, I often. You're, you're, the first time you really experienced it, I remember when we were. Yes, we were, so we're in the yeah. back blocks of yeah. Bolivia yeah. and I was the only gringa on this public bus. You know those sleeper buses? Yes, else? I've been yeah. on them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so you would have felt yeah. it as well. Like, like, only white chick, yeah. and it was really good. And I could see everyone just staring at her and her blonde hair and her blue eyes, and they're just like looking at her and thinking, that's how I feel in Australia. Yeah, yeah. And those guys, now I know what you're talking yeah. about. And it was really <laughs> And I found it interesting. I found it more intriguing, but I thought, you know what was really interesting, Elsa? The lady that she sat down with next to she moved her purse away from her. <laughs> <laughs> I would have moved my purse away from her too. I've had a similar moment in a nightclub in Brazil. Uh, was it Brazil? Yeah. Yes, I've had the same moment. So I do I get it's a great point. 
<laughs> and one of the things I was going to ask you, but I don't need to now because you answered it already, it was I was going to say who's the boss out of you two. But um, <laughs> in the Aboriginal culture, it turns out the women's the boss. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sorry, um, Noir, and this isn't the same, and this is this is a born really... into the wrong culture. <laughs> I know, I, right? I, I tell you what, boss means, but like, I'm not getting trouble. Um, <laughs> but the um, the Noir boss, boss is an acronym that I use. And do it. Bag of sheep shit. Thanks, but um, the Noir word for boss, um, it usually sort of talks more about law boss though, and men is um, Britia. Yeah. Um, so if you're the pretty, you're the you're the boss man, and when it comes to law, and and you know you're one of the, and um, it's funny because um, uh, Professor Len Collard from UWA, he always says to Bill, "You Bennells, you're the prettiest of the Southwest," you know. Yes, <laughs> Bill's like, "No, we're not." But thank you. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny, but um, so it should be called prettier, prettier bitch. <laughs> totally. There you go. <laughs> uh, but um, I mean, God, we could. I mean, particularly me, I could bang on about this for hours. I know, oh. but I was about to say, if we keep talking, my dad's going to get very angry. <laughs> Sorry, Lynette. Love you. Um, we don't we don't call him that to his face, Nez. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I can't see him. <laughs> I'd have to say, like, you know, we were talking about, you know, it's um. People are scared of um, like saying the wrong thing. Well done with your courage for asking. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I hope that I didn't say anything yeah. too wrong. <laughs> no, I, I came into this with really good intentions, and um, I am so glad that we got to have this conversation. And yeah. I, I actually was writing notes as we were talking because it was like I had. It was like I was sitting in on a uh, one of your sessions, you know. It was just learning for me and um, I got a lot out of it. So if I did, I'm sure a lot of other people do and hopefully, um, you know, that's that in itself will be a lot of value out of this chat. Yeah, I hope so, Elsa. Um, yeah, thanks so much for, for persevering with us. We've, we've had to do a few takes at this one to try and get a date that Bill could do. But, um, yeah. That's all good. You guys are busy and for good reason. <laughs> Yeah. And thank and look, you um, so much. Thank you, Bill, for being the first penis on my show. Yay. I feel privileged, I think. <laughs> <laughs> You're a privileged <laughs> man. Sorry, Bill. All right. Well, you two have a good day. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you so you. much. See you. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Bossy Bitch Podcast. I am Elsa Mitchell and you can find me at elsamitchell.com.au or if you'd like to meet my friends, please head on over to Facebook and I invite you to join our free group, Bossy Bitch. Bossy Bitch.